and ride with me in my foul life. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. There's a reason you see their logo everywhere in the hunting community. When it comes to glass, Vortex is in a league of its own. They use premium quality precision ground lenses that are crafted from high density, extra low dispersion glass to ensure crisp and clear images. Glass is specifically designed to minimize chromatic aberration, which can cause color fringing and reduce image quality. Additionally, they have a variety of coatings such as anti-reflectives that minimize light loss due to reflection and scratch resistant coatings that protect the lenses from damage. Trust is everything in the optics industry and Vortex Optics has earned the trust of hunters, shooters, law enforcement, military, and outdoor enthusiasts worldwide. Their products are renowned for their quality, durability, and the company's commitment to innovation and excellence has earned them numerous industry awards and accolades, cementing their position as a top player in the optics market. Visit vortexoptics.com to learn more. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Scoreboard Nashville, the ultimate sports bar and grill in Nashville, Tennessee. Scoreboard Nashville has it all. With over 45 TVs and projectors, you'll never miss a moment of your favorite games. But that's just the beginning. They also have an outdoor area like no other sports bar. With games like cornhole, Jenga, and even a basketball hoop, good times are guaranteed. Scoreboard Nashville is always hosting awesome events and specials that you won't want to miss. From live music to trivia nights to happy hour specials, there's always something fun going on. But the real star of the show is the food and drink. At Scoreboard Nashville, they take their menu very seriously. It's full of delicious and unique dishes that you won't find anywhere else. For example, you can try their loaded tater tots with pulled pork, cheese sauce, and green onions, or indulge in their signature Scoreboard burger. Check out scoreboardnashville.com to plan your next night out. My favorite part of bass fishing is casting. I think that it's uh, an art, if you know what I mean. Like, I think that all of the different forms of casting, um, the different types. What are the different types? You got a bait caster and you got a spinning rod. Yes, are those the two ones that are most prolific with bass? Is that the main two y'all use? Mostly. Yes. So explain to me real quick before we get into some of the particulars of what Bassmaster is as it relates here in the state of Tennessee. Talk to me a second about what a bait caster is. Is it more difficult than a spinning rod? Is it more difficult to learn on one? And when you do learn on it, are they more accurate than a spinning rod would be? Give me the idea why there's two different rods and when you use each of the ones. Uh, I'd say it really just depends. Um, your bait caster is definitely gonna be your heavier setup. Like you won't throw as much finesse tackle on it. Um, it it definitely you can be really ac you can be more accurate with it once you once you get it dialed in. Um, but it's it's a lot more difficult to learn. Most people start out with that spinning rod and reel, and then move into the bait caster once they try to get a little bit more advanced. So the bait caster is more advanced. Yes, sir. Yes. Can you? Correct me if I'm wrong, but a bait caster is a thumb. You hold down the thumb, and is it faster when it comes out? Is it more? Why, why is the accuracy there, or why is it more advanced? Because when you got to have better timing when you release your thumb, is that the main thing? It's the spool spins faster than the line can come off, and so if you don't thumb it and slow down that spool, then that's when your line will blow up on you and backlash or bird's nest 
and that's what that's when it gets all tangled into a tangled mess and that's what makes it so difficult is getting that timing down of when that when you put your thumb right back on it to uh to stop that spool to stop that spool yes sir are you proficient with a bait caster i fish them pretty much only how long uh, have you been doing that four years probably how old are you uh 14. what's what's the give me the names of some casts so i can learn because i watch people cast there's the one where you flip it underhand real quick there's the one where you side swoop it on the right there might be a little dock out there and you want to place it right in front i call it the side swoop right mm-hmm. right over there like you got to be an athlete swoop. to be a bass fisherman right definitely the better athlete you are there's 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 like there's like an art to it there's touch you got to have touch it's almost like magic johnson throwing an assist in the nba or wayne gretzky throwing an assist in the nhl there's touch that goes in that's what i love about bass fishing is that's just not dropping your line for crappie you know you got kites and you do i do a lot of offshore fishing and i love it i love it but bass fishing is like what my second calling is going to be when i retire from duck hunting i'm very envious of people that are good at it, and I, I, I get to run with a lot of them. Talk about retiring from duck hunting. Well, I don't know if I'll ever retire from duck hunting, but okay. every time <laughs> I get on, every time I get on the bass water, I get more and more enthralled with. That. I was in Alabama about ten days ago on a great body of water, just a private little lake, and man, it was—it's just one of those yeah. things to where you feel like you're 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 being. Fly fishing is very cool because you're matching the hatch, you know, and it, it takes a lot of talent to fly fish and moving water, still water, all that. But bass fishing, there's something about all of the different applications that I compare it to duck hunting all the time. You know, duck hunting's got so many different thing, things that you can do to be successful. And bass fishing, whether you're hopping a frog across the top or, you know, whether you got something that you, you're floating, I mean, swimming a worm underwater i don't know a lot about it that's why we're having this podcast because i want to learn so i want to get into it captain about tennessee um this is the bass master you are the director of the state not just the high school and the youth version but the actual college part of the bass master talk to me about when people hear bass master is this is this like a minor Uh, league to the actual bass masters that somebody like hey cherry's one it it is it's it's this is where we grow this is the grassroots this is where we grow the next elite anglers, okay? Um, and we actually start younger than, well, young Mr. Hobbs here. He He's fishing as a junior this year. That's the beginning level. And they're all the way from age six up to ninth grade. And in the eighth and ninth grade, or in the eighth grade, they have an option. They can either stay a junior and then go on to high school, or they can go on to high school but once they move up, they're there. They can fish five years of high school tournament fishing. From there, they go to college. And it is growing across this nation exponentially. Uh, we've actually got colleges recruiting our kids. We are the Tennessee is the number one program in the nation as far as numbers and participants. We are the number one most sought after and most seeked these guys are the our young anglers by colleges that actually give them scholarships, you know, partial uh, benefit scholarships, whatever you want to talk about. Um, and then if you look at some of the elite anglers and those that have moved up out of college, Tennessee is starting to produce the most anglers there has been, you know, whether it's through uh, all the way from junior up to high school within the college, or it's kids that our colleges are recruiting to come in here. 
if, if you look at Bethel, you got KG McQueen, you got McCormick over there. Um, they've all graduated from Bethel and they've gone on. Now we've got Kyle Palmer that has gone on and started fishing the other league, uh, MLF, which is a great, you know, great platform to fish with. But, you know, we, we're growing that next age of anglers. Um, and when we were at this classic, I've had, I had a chance to talk to some of my old friends who are still fishing. Um, you know, if, if you talk to Mike Iconelli or Gerald Sw Swindle, they'll tell you the, the future is, is there. You know, and it's not just the high school angler. It's the kids who are enthusi we're, we're getting the opportunity to fish that never had. Okay. That's a great point right there. I want to talk to that, Carson. I want you to reiterate what Captain's saying a little bit. In a day and age where, where our iPads have become almost an instant babysitter for kids, yeah. it's like you want to be a babysitter, all you got to do is have an iPad. You can sit these kids down. They'll keep them entertained for hours. But that's not a very cool way to live, right? Like, talk not to me all. about the, what your upbringing. When did you start fishing? Why did you start fishing? Did your grandpa and your dad and your uncles do it? And where did you find that competitive edge? Because now you've been the recipient of a scholarship to go to the next level in your senior year of high school fishing for the Bassmaster. You're actually what Captain Jack's referring to as a, an elite fisherman at your age and your level, soon to be Harrison Hobbs. But what? when did you know you had that competitive edge that I want to take bass fishing to the next level? So my... I guess five years ago, my grand, my, so my dad's never fished. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody in my um, in my family's ever fished except my step grandfather, and uh, he was a big tournament fisherman. Um, but I was so young that I never got to spend any time with the boat in him. He, he never really got to teach me anything. Um, but when he passed away, I don't know if that was five or six years ago, I got one of his tackle boxes. And instead of just letting that, you know, putting it in the attic and letting it sit there, I said, I'm gonna start using this. And so I started there, started fishing in some ponds in Florida here. And um, eighth grade, uh, my dad asked, he said, um, do you wanna move to Franklin High and be on their fishing team? And I said, I'd love to. So I started fishing, I fished about two tournaments my freshman year and then just each year went on and I um, started picking up more tournaments. And this year, um, last year, I was uh, able to qualify for the national championship and fish at Lake Hartwell. Um, and that was a great experience. And this year I'm hoping to do the same as well. Barrett, when you, when you think about what you're encompassing as a father of a <clears throat> diehard fisher, I'm talking Harrison's diehard like chances captain keeps referring to the next level the next the next generation of fishermen we're looking at two of them right here what worries you more the boat ride and the speed or the price tag on this future because <laughs> and the reason i'm asking that is because i understand the expense of what it takes to do what i do and people are like well duck hunting doesn't look that hard and i also i often ask myself like well the entry okay the barrier of entry not to mention identifying ducks understanding the different different species the different limits you can kill two hen mallards here you can kill four drake mallards in arkansas but you can kill seven in oregon so like there's all these different things as you travel to hunt that you got to learn and then it's the investment you got to have the boat you got to have the dog you got to have the utv you got to have the decoys you got to have the benelli it's non-stop i would compare bass fishing the investment part of it right there with duck hunting deer hunting you need a rifle and a blaze orange one shell and a blaze orange vest not to say that deer hunting's easy 
but there's there's 14.5 million deer hunters in this country. There's 2.1 million duck hunters. There's 4.7 million turkey hunters. There's more predator hunters in America than there are duck hunters. Bass fishing is very expensive. So why, I want you to talk to me about, I know that, you, that whatever it's gonna take that you're willing to put forth in this, but there is an investment. But with that investment and the time it takes to be so good at this, why is there such an explosion to where I've heard numbers of like 10 to 12, 15,000 kids just in Tennessee that are in this program? Why is there such an explosion when it takes so much to get into it and be successful with it? Well, uh, I think probably um, what makes it so unique and a draw as a parent, um, I was fortunate. I was brought up hunting and fishing, so I've, I've never had a part of my life where I wasn't doing that. So it was natural when Harrison came along that I was going to introduce it, you know, the outdoors to him. Um, I wasn't planning on this, you know, I didn't expect him to take it on way beyond a hobby. It's a passion and Carson has that passion. All the young men before these guys that, that, you know, Captain Jake and all the volunteers um, have laid down a foundation where it feels like a fraternity. And I've said it recently that there's not another sport that I've ever seen that you've got professional anglers that lean down and help collegiate athletes go to that level. The collegiate athletes reach down and help the high school guys, and then the older high school guys reach down and help the juveniles or the, the, the juniors. And and I think when a parent sees that, and the first thing that I recognized was the manners, to be perfectly honest. It's the yes, sir, the no, sir. It's the uh, it's the investment in time like Captain Jake and, and thousands of men like him across the United States that invest time in this. And then as a parent, you think, well, what qualities are they going to be influenced by? And am I willing to put the money in and the time in um, to, to have them influenced by this? And there's nothing I won't do, you know, to give Harrison an opportunity to be around good human beings. And at the end of this, this chapter in his life, if he's an excellent fisherman and he gets a college scholarship or goes on to work for Mercury Outdoors or, or Outboards or whatever. You know, it's not all about just becoming a professional bass fisherman. I look at it as an investment in a human being. And and, I, and I, I've been just stunned. I don't really guess I should be, and you're in it. You, you make a living in it. You meet some of the greatest people in America in the outdoors. You know, not to say there's not great golfers, but man, you really, it's hard to find somebody in the outdoor world that you just think, man, they're just a bad person or you don't enjoy being around them. So I look at it as an investment in his, in, in him as a man more than I do succeeding at a sport and to, and to give back to conservation and clean water initiatives. There's just, if he never picks up another fishing rod, he's learning the importance of, if you wanna ride on a pontoon boat, do you want to ride in a lake with trash or not trash? And and so, uh, and I think there's also a misconception uh, that you've got to have 
a $100,000 bass boat to participate in this sport. Is it expensive? Yes. But there's every level. You, you can have a, an older bass boat and, you know, Hank Parker caught a ton of fish and he didn't have any electronics. He had an old hummingbird flasher, but the guy could rip lips, you know. So I think a lot of people are now caught up in the now it's cool. The electronics are expensive and they're neat. It's it's they're the video game kids, uh, you know, so that's kind of in tune with them. So, I, I you know, I don't think that the investment from a money standpoint should deter anybody because there's every opportunity to get in um, at every level uh, from boating and equipment. Um, you better be prepared to invest time. And, 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 and man, what a reward to get to go fishing with kids like Carson and my son. You know, you don't get to go play basketball with them when they're out there on the court. We get to fish. Tomorrow, we're going fishing together. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to throw football with him. So. I think that's more what the investment is, is, is if you're willing to spend time with these guys, um, it, it sure pays big dividends. Yeah. Captain, he and, talks about parents and different levels of entry into this. Talk to me a little bit about what you've experienced with, can can any kid get involved? Are there mentors in, bo well, in and, boats? And that's, I, I was listening to Barrett talk about this, you know, there is, so many great things that happen in our program. Number one, we are a team sport. And that team being two youth anglers, and whether they want to consider themselves part of their team or not, they are that parent that's in that boat. Because the boat driver has to be a parent or an adult. We got grandparents, I've got volunteer boat captains. I've got one at 77 years old. Uh, at 74, he went down and bought a boat so he could take two kids fishing. He seen what we were doing. He goes, I'm going down. He went down, bought a Z21 uh, uh, Nitro with a 250 on it because his boat, he said, he goes, my boat ain't big enough. I only got a 19-footer. I want a 20-footer. But we are the only sport that, in my personal humble opinion, that takes dad, his son, or, you know, somebody part of the family, another child from another family, and they have automatic mentorship right there. And, you know, I've had to talk to a lot of parents and I've talked to a lot of the kids, and you guys correct, there's times I seem hard to them. Well, I'm 21 year master sergeant out of the Air Force. When they get in line, dad doesn't get out of the vehicle, get that boat ready. That's not what we're there to train them to do. We're a training facility. The two youngins get off the phones or wake up at old dark 30 in the morning. They get out of the truck, get the boat ready. Dad keeps the boat moving down the line, you know? And for a long time, we had fun with it. You know, I'd pay, play the drill sergeant. Why are you still sitting in the truck? And, you know, and I'd be walking up and down the boat line. We're teaching them something. You know, in a day and age where the parent or a father figure or an adult figure, because I've got lady boat drivers, moms get out there and drive boats as well. A lot of kids don't have that. We're bringing dad back into the mix. We're not, you know, it's a baseball team has a coach that 
coaches the entire team. Dad sits over on the bleachers and yells and screams for his kid and maybe yells a little bit at the coach. Well, guess what? Dad's the coach now in the boat and we're providing that mentorship. And people like, you know, my, my co-state director, David Lowry and I, and our other regional directors are there to give them the mentorship from our side so that when they step up to the college level, no matter where they go in this country, I can tell you Glenn Kay will say the best trained anglers will come from Tennessee. They know how to back a boat down a ramp. They know how to put the boat in the water. They know how to load that boat. They can fix that boat. They, they can change a tire. They know how to maintain their boats. Okay, they maintain all their own equipment. They got to learn that someplace. We, that's where we're, that's our job is to teach them. The other aspect of this is to teach them to competitive tournament fish and have fun and be human about it. Just because Carson over here has a bad tournament doesn't mean he should walk away pounding if young Mr. Hobbs just whooped up on him. You know, Carson needs to go over and shake his hand and say, hey man, you did a great job today. How did you do it? Give me some insight. What did I miss? Okay. It's that mentorship from the angler to angler, from parent to parent, parent to angler, and then from my staff the director's staff back down to the parents and the coaches at the schools or college level, whatever it is. Um, and that is so important in today's world because we have lost that. Like you started saying earlier, if I needed a babysitter, I get an iPad. That piece of electronics is not teaching that child anything. We are doing so much more than just fishing and spending dad's money because like I said, it was a team sport. He's got to find a partner. A lot of times that partner's folk, parents, they don't have a boat. They don't have, maybe they don't have the money to afford it, but they can afford a couple of rods and some tackle and the entry fee and help pay for the gas to put that team on the water. So they end up splitting. We just took another, you know, you just took another child that young man, young lady, we got female anglers too, and some of them are good, routinely good. Yeah. Beats somebody. I ain't gonna say who. Uh oh, he's sitting next to me. Yep. Um, you know, we're taking them out there on the water, and we're teaching the best we can. Humility. We're teaching them how to compete right, how to be sportsmen about things, um, and do the right thing. You know, uh, and, and they know when they mess up. If if they did something that's against the rules, uh, I've had a couple of teams this year. They'll get back to the dock. They're pulling fish out of the live well, and they're like, "Uh oh, we got six. They got catching so many fish, they forgot how many they had in the live well." You can only have five, right? You gonna have five? At least four times this year, I've had those teams walk up. They know what's gonna happen. And they'll just, they'll, they'll walk up, they'll put their head down and they'll say, Cap, we messed up. I got a heck of a sack over here, but I had six fish in the live well. Automatic DQ? Automatic. Straight to Dairy Queen. Yep, don't pass go, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I gotta hand it to them. 
But there again, if we teach them that at this level, I don't care if they go on to fish the elites, the Bassmaster elites, and compete in the Bassmaster Classic, or they fish some other trail. I know if I see it happen, or I know that if Carson makes the elites or wherever, and there's a very small chance of it, because let's face it, there's 104 elites. I've got just about 3,000 high school anglers in Tennessee. Wow. 104 slots in the end. 3,000. That's less than a half a percent. They're going to make it all the way. Do they have it in their hearts? But if they make it, I know that I have handed Lisa Tombridge and Chris Bowes, a Bassmaster, an honest human angler. Mistakes will happen. And they'll, they'll, they will admit to their mistakes without me walking up the boat and saying, hey, guys, uh, we got a problem. You know, no, and, I... and that's what it's all about. It's teaching them that type of stuff. It's like it's like the deer hunter or, you know, uh, the duck hunter that maybe has some extra lead shot shucks in his pouch and should be shooting all steel. When the game warden walks up, and you're pulling out and you're like, why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> I should be looking at me because I've done it before. But the best thing you can do is just admit honest, to it. Be transparent. Be, be honest and transparent about it. You Mistakes know? are made. Let me ask you this, Carson. Listening to the captain talk like this. Humility, mentorship, sportsmanship. How important is winning, though? Are, are you so driven to where you're not happy if you don't win? Is this become so competitive that I, I understand that you're learning how to be a man and you're learning how to be a mentor and you're learning how to be a winner and a loser and, and accept it all, right? But he just said only 104 of you make it. How important is that to you to win and become one of those 104? Uh, it just depends. I, um, I've thought, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to make the Elite Series. It'd be definitely be a dream of mine, but in the reality that that never happened. Um, I know that I can always do something in the outdoor industry. And a big thing that I've tried to do is, you know, build relationships, uh, build connections to where I can, you know, get in contact with people of different companies. And if I decide to go down that path, instead of making a run at the elite series, once I get out of the, get past the college level, I always have that to do as well. But definitely the elite series is it'd be my uh dream for sure um just because i'm super super competitive uh but if that didn't happen i'd know that it wouldn't be the end of the world so i like it yes sir harrison talk to me of what a what pre-fish is do you always get to pre-fish a body of water before the competition starts and you and your teammates, what are you trying to accomplish during that pre-fish? Are you looking for different structure? Are you reading your electronics the entire time? Are you trying to find a, an entire school? Like, give me an idea of what's going through an angler's mind on that pre-fish. So when you're pre-fishing, when you're pre-fishing, you go out and you're looking to accomplish to find fish for your tournament. You don't want to catch all the fish at one spot because then you don't have any fish to catch in the tournament. But depending on the time of year, you do research at your own home lakes year-round, and you kind of base it off of what you know 
about that lake or other lakes around you that time of year when you go out. So then you target that kind of structure or depth or current and you just cast around and when you catch fish, you mark it on your uh, electronics and then you come back in your tournament and you use the same stuff and down in Pickwick, we pre-fished this one hole, but uh, we caught fish there the day before. We went in our tournament, there were no fish there. So sometimes it doesn't work out like that, but you'll most of the time have fish on a specific spot that you're at. So you find fish in a specific spot, Carson. You go back there the next day and you're hammering them. Ethically, is it okay for another competitor in the boat to pull up because they see you catching fish and they can just pretty much dock right by you and put the anchor down and start hammering with you? Is that ethical? So, no, sir. In our tournaments, there's a 50-yard rule. So that angler has to stay 50 yards away um, unless you invite invite them in. So say that I'm sitting on a spot and Harrison being, you know, one of our uh, team, one of my teammates, not my direct teammate, but one other team on the Franklin, overall Franklin team, say I was like, hey, dude, they're here. Come pull up next to me. Once I have him pull up next to me, anybody's free to come into that spot. But Because he's not 50 yards from me. Because since I've invited him into my spot and he's not 50 yards from me, once one person's invited, everybody's invited. You can't just pick and choose who you want to come in once you invite somebody. So it's kind of like NASCAR. It is. You get in there and you help a teammate. I understand the rules, but when, when, when you start talking about the ethics of fishing, um, how important is it to you guys that you maintain your ethics when it comes to this lifestyle, when it comes to what Captain referred to as, you know, six fish in the boat? You know, this goes all the way down to the rest of your lives in the outdoor career of doing the right thing when nobody's looking right how important have you taught yourself this because in this in this world of electronics in this world of the best the best gear that you could ever possibly have for hunting fishing whatever it is can you cheat in this have you ever caught yourself try thinking like wow if i do this i could get away with an extra pound has it ever crossed your mind and does it become difficult when you're out there in the boat all by yourself or do you have a spotter on every single boat that's watching every move that you make or is that left up to the parent that's driving the boat that'd be i mean that's left up to the parent but really it's you and your partner keeping each other honest um and i don't i mean i've never been in the position where i'm like hey you know let's try to do something to gain more weight for a fish um but I kind of just think of it as, you know, if we weren't, what do I, how, how do I say this? If we weren't able to catch the big enough fish, like it wasn't meant for, uh, it wasn't meant, meant to happen for us at that tournament. And so, but um, I, I mean, it's just, it's super important to keep the ethics side of this because without that, you know, it's the whole sport and anything in the outdoor industry is just, it's going to go away. Barrett, when you talk about some of the stuff that I talk about hunting is compassion for the animals we pursue and respect for the resource. You've already touched on this with conservation, um, garbage days at the lake and picking out trash at the lake, making that lake a better body of water. Um, when you see the maturity of these athletes, these fishermen, these kids that grow up, both men, both boys and girls, what is your main goal right now in the next four years do you want to i know you've already talked a little bit about creating a a great human being and a great community leader 
but how important is it to raise a champion in today's world of participation awards and in today's world of everybody wants to get that trophy how important is it to you as a father right now to raise a champion and is that part of the conversation with the kids right now of being a champion or is it more suited to being a better steward of the lifestyle and the sport or the you know the culture of fishing well i don't know that they're mutually exclusive um uh, you know you want your son or your daughter and yourself you know if, if you're not competing to win you're probably not going to succeed in life it doesn't mean that if you don't win you weren't successful but if you don't have drive and ambition my family's built on entrepreneurship that's what we do and and so it's inherently in my blood whether it's business it's fishing it's hunting it's it's being raising money for charity everything that we do um, is important that we succeed at it now it doesn't mean that you measure success solely by earning money or being in first place at a fishing tournament it's it's the effort you know and in in his captain jake said earlier you know these kids don't always finish in the top five or in the top three you know sometimes you just have a bad tournament the pros do you know just recently you know jacob wheeler who's one of the best fishermen on the planet just struggled in an in particular tournament and it's not like he forgot how to fish he just had a bad run now he'll come back in a week or two and smoke them and and that's the drive you want to instill you know if you're in fifth place you want to do everything you can to get in fourth place and if you don't get to fourth place it's okay but you want to have that drive so my answer is is both you want them to be a great steward because that's going to carry them when they're old like me and i'm not competing you know uh to be on the bass masters uh, elite or anything um but i'm a steward and and so my job is to open the doors and to help support all of them as much as i can uh to to, to succeed um but the drive's got to be there I, I don't care if they're selling insurance or you're making hamburgers make the best hamburger you can you know that's the best you can do that's fine i've coached harrison and soccer and other things and there's kids that are excellent at soccer and some that aren't but man you just want the ones that aren't the best at soccer give me all you got and if that's all you've got that's good enough for me man that's 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 my goal with this captain jake um Talk to me about, I love what you said, by the way, Mr. Barrett, that's very good. Talk to me about the bodies of water. I live out west. Yep. And there's some bass waters out there. There's is, some good is, ones out there. Is it? There's some good ones. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you no more <laughs> me, but is it safe to say when I drive around the state of Tennessee that every body of water, rivers, lakes included, that you could potentially catch a largemouth or a smallmouth in there? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, Tennessee and North Alabama have started gaining a reputation probably as long as 15, 20 years ago. This is probably the most ideal training ground there is for anglers. Okay. I think for all outdoorsmen. And I want to bring it back into perspective just a little bit for a second. You know, yeah, we're talking fishing. But so much of what 
the parents and, and our directors and our coaches are trying to instill in these young men and ladies is care for the outdoors. It doesn't matter whether it's hunting or fishing. This is our little segment of their life to make a difference and keep that going. But when you start talking about bodies of water, like you're talking about in Tennessee, you can take, you can go from an old hickory right out, out the door here. And it's a reservoir that has grass, a lot of wood in it. It sets up a lot different than Percy Priest does, which is simply about, oh, maybe a mile away. It's got a lot of rock in it. It's deep, extreme, a lot more deeper than Old Hickory is. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's not your clearest lake in the world, but it's nice. But then you go down to where I live on Tim's Ford, or you go up to a Dale Hollow, extremely clear water. And then let's not forget about the great Tennessee River that we have. Everything from Knoxville all the way over to Kentucky. And that is just a phenomenal fishing uh, setup all up and down the Tennessee River. And each section of it is a little bit different. And these kids got to go out and figure it out. Yeah, dad's going to help them a little bit, but they've got to put the pattern together. I think that's the word Mr. Hobbs was looking for is when he was talking about, you know, talking about pre-fishing and we may catch them here. And then we look at our maps. Okay, I'm looking at a point that comes out 400 yards. Where's the next spot just like this? You'll see them on their phone digging out, going to an avionics chip, just like we do with hunting. We're looking for the next great ravine it may be down four or five ridges, but it sets up like the one that we just seen that good buck in or seen that good flock of turkey in. Let's go check that one and see if there ain't another flock of turkey over there. Does it have the same vegetation? They have to learn all that stuff, okay? Um, and that's, that's our job as parents, directors, uh, coaches, to teach them that. Uh, and the electronics are helping them out a lot. But yeah, when you get back to the lakes, there's no better training ground than Tennessee. Okay, we touch all kinds of water. That's and that's, that's part of the reason why all the colleges, or a lot of the colleges start looking at Tennessee uh, in North Alabama. They're like, okay, where's our best anglers going to be trained at? What kind of water have they set up in? Can they go to Florida, fish in Okeechobee, figure them out, and then three weeks later, they're headed for St. Lawrence River. New York. In New York, can they figure them out up there? Where do you have that type of water? You got it all right here in Tennessee. Right here in Tennessee. Wow. So When you hear, when you hear Captain talk about teaching, being coachable, learning, mentorship, all that, I think I'm getting ready to sneeze, so we'll edit that part out if I do. <laughs> Oh, Jack, make sure Allie knows that about 45 minutes in. Um, academics. You start getting fishing on the brain. When I start thinking duck hunting, nothing else matters. Like, my life was ruined because of duck hunting because that's all I think about. Like, I came up with this slogan that we merely exist in a duck's world. Well, you could do it in turkey, you could do it in deer, you could do it with golf or bowling or or a bass, Anything. whatever it is. We merely exist in a duck's world. And the logo is the orange foot of a mallard duck holding the globe 
because he just manipulates that and controls every move I make, no matter if it's June or December. That's the way my brain is. They've literally ruined my life, ducks. Yep. When it comes to the fishing part of it, you still got to get good grades. You got to get scholarship. You got to have that GPA up. You got to take days off to pre-fish. You got to take days off to travel. How important is it to you guys, you two, Harrison and Carson, that you continue down that path of great academics, great, is it academia, academia? Academia. Academia. It's pretty good. I just watched a show called Goodwill Hunting. Have you guys seen it? If you haven't, you're young. You're young, but watch it. They're way too young for that. Genius movie. But how important is academia to you guys as you follow or take this crusade into this this goal of being a professional fisherman or working in the outdoor industry? It's definitely really important. Um, That was a big thing with my parents, uh, just uh, like talking them through all that. Uh, You know, they were worried, you're missing all this school, you're missing all this school. And one thing that I've tried, I'm talking to Harrison about is you can kind of set up your high school, um, like your classes you take and all that. And what I did personally is I made, I took my harder classes my freshman and sophomore year and then finished those up my junior year. And that just allowed me to the end of my junior year and the start and all senior year, I only have really two core core classes this year. So I'm able to stay on top of my grades and still get plenty of time out there on the lake to pre-fish. What about you, Harrison? We, <clears throat> there's tests, there's, there's projects, there's presentations, there's other parts of life than just trying to catch five fish and get the heaviest weight of that day. How do you balance that and how do you how do you rank? I want a true and honest ranking of where all of these fit in your life. You have family, you have fishing, you have academia and school, you have a girlfriend potentially coming up here in the next couple of years, <laughs> which if you're smart, you don't have a girlfriend coming up here in the next couple of years if you want to catch the most bass. Just being honest. Um, rank them for me. Be honest with me. How do you rank those, what I just said, those four? Family, education and grades, girlfriend, and fishing. I mean, family comes first before everything, of course. Family will come first. I mean, there's nothing more important than family. So you wouldn't push your dad out of the boat to go catch a seven-pounder? <laughs> okay. Now that has to be a <laughs> So talk to me. You got family one. Yeah, I'm going to put fishing next. Whoa, fishing next. Did you hear that, Captain? Over uh, Yeah, we're going to have to have a talk. <laughs> yeah, put that, you on the spot. But you got to be honest because here. when you start thinking about the ranking of this, it's so easy to let that lifestyle take you over. And I can tell you from experience that being blessed and humbled by the what I, I – I, I take that back. I'm not humbled by the fact that I get to hunt for a living. I was, hum- I, was I wanted to always have humility. I think that if you get an arrogance or a cockiness because you can catch a bass that has a brain this big or kill a duck that has a brain this big, then you have some serious issues. That's not what it's about of being the best, right? But if if you think about how important it becomes in our life, you look at that boat. And like he said, 74-year-old man, 74, and he still wants a bigger boat. There's got to be something wrong with the guy, right? <laughs> Remember that Chris Jansen song, Buy Me a Boat? Like, yep. 19-footer is good enough, yeah. right? But you get this mindset of, like, I got to do it. I got to go to the next level. Like Barrett talked about, I want to go to the next level, whether it's the entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's drive or passion. I want to be at the next level. So when you start thinking about that, it's very easy to let other road bumps get in the way of, like, oh, man, I just dipped below a 2.0. I'm ineligible. 
or I got a girlfriend and I'm going out three nights a week instead of practicing or learning my lures or I got it. Like, how do you even tie knots with readers? Do you have to, do you have to wear your readers to tie knots when you're in the bass fishing boat? I don't know why you looked at me for that, Chad. <laughs> I'm glad he kind of that, that makes me feel yeah. like the younger here. So yeah. talk to me, Harrison and Carson, because you guys are in the midst of potentially doing this for a living. That's exciting. If you have if you have mentors like this and volunteers like this that have dedicated their life and their time their elbow grease to making sure that you guys have waters and competition and judges and rules and regulations and all these things to abide by think about that how easy it is to let something come in between that do you ever think about that like how important is fishing how truly important is fishing to you guys is it going to make is it going to make you make judgments based on how important that rod and reel is in that body of water. Do you think it will? Uh, it definitely, um, it definitely could. Uh, my dad's always told me that uh, fishing won't define you. Um, and, you know, it, it won't. And even if I'm on the Elite Series, it's not going to define who I am as a person. Um, and so that's a thing that uh, I've had to work on is just, not letting not getting carried away and not you know it's i mean it's super easy to go practice three days for a tournament and forget about everything else forget about school forget about you know what's going on back home all that and just getting so focused on that and then you get back next week to school and you've got just a list of missing stuff and then it's to where your parents are telling you hey you know you can't go to the next one because you're you know you're missing too much and that's been a big thing that i've been working on uh and one something that i continue need to continue to work on going into the college level because the college level will we're going to even be missing more school uh to go to these lakes since they are farther away and, and you know when captain said that about we're gonna have to have a talk I played college baseball in, at D1 at UNLV. And mom wasn't there to wake me up anymore. Mom wasn't there doing my laundry. Dad wasn't making my sack lunch with spaghetti in between two pieces of wheat bread from dinner the night before. Sounds weird, but everybody begged for our cold lunches. They look yep. at that sandwich and be like, is that really cold spaghetti in between bread? I'm like, yeah. And they'd just take one bite and they'd be trading their sourdough hot lunch pizza to me. Yep. That's a little bit off kilter, but where I'm going with that is that when I got to college, I was like, man, I could do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden you start to see that 3.8 go to a 3.2 and you got your coach telling you you're the biggest recruiting mistake I ever made because you got picked off a second because you, you were talking to a girl all week instead of concentrating on base running. There's so many things that can get in the way, you know, when you go to that next level that it, it's got to be a mindset of your guys like Captain was talking about that you have to keep your edge. If fishing doesn't define you, you have to keep your edge by what you put into a bank account is what you can take out someday. And the education part of life is so important. If you go to college, like you're about to do, you might never use the degree you get, but what you're going to do is what you alluded to in the beginning of this conversation, Carson, and Harrison is the same way. He's got a YouTube channel with 11,000 followers. He's already had me as a guest. I go, he's 14. You're not supposed to be doing that when you're 14, but you're networking. You're being well-mannered. You're executing. You're looking people in the eye when you shake their hand. You're negotiating. You're making deals. You're learning how to be a businessman. You're learning how to be a steward of the land, a conservationist. It doesn't matter that if you lose your edge because you neglect this part of life because fishing becomes so centerpiece, then we're making a mistake. And I'm telling you, I've seen it happen in my own life with duck hunting. I'm like, wow, I'm a dad. I better be at that volleyball tournament, even though it's the migrations on like crazy. 
and I could go kill four in the flooded timber of Arkansas, I'm going to that volleyball tournament because I can't get that time back. I hope that makes sense because you guys are on the path of doing something that most people would dream of doing, fishing for a living. That's pretty cool. And it's because of men wow. like him and your dads and your coaches and your mentors and your moms can't take it away from the moms. They're, you know, they go through a lot too of what it takes to, to raise a family in athletics. You've seen it. You taught, you know, soccer practice, the fishing practice, the, the school, the basketball games. I even got to go to one of your games one time. But think about that. Always keep your edge and don't let this become more important than the academics part. Because even if you don't get an A and you get a B, you're learning how to network. You're learning how to juggle a lot of things at one time in high school and college. You might have to go work out in the morning. You might have to go take math. You might go take sociology. You might take biology, whatever it is. And then you got to go to practice. And then you got to go meet with a teacher. You got to go meet with captain. You're learning how to yeah. juggle. And that's the secret of life. That guy never puts his phone down on a work day because he's juggling all of these different things. That's what it takes to set yourself apart and to be successful. You can't fail, right? He's responsible for too many people's livelihood in his properties. He's got to make sure he's on. And that's what it comes down to is keeping your edge. So if I could tell you one thing, and I'm saying this because of what he said, I didn't mean to set Harrison up for that. You got to stay focused on what's important. And if fishing doesn't define you like you've already talked about, then something's going to have to. And it's going to be the man you become from learning how to juggle, learning how to network, learning how to execute, learning how to start. And it's more importantly, finish what you start. Does that sound right, Captain? And, and I, you know, you're, you're spot on. And I would add in here, you know, we all talk as parents and mentors about, well, you got to go to college and you got to get this degree or that degree. Gerald Swindle is probably one of the best all-time anglers uh, that I've ever seen, been personally personally know. He never went to college. Okay. But what he did do is before he chased that dream, and he always had that dream, I want to be that guy. I want to be that elite guy. You better make a plan. Okay. You make a plan. I'm going to make, you, we all know it takes big money. You work your way towards it. You got to learn something you can do on the outside here. You know, Harrison, whether it's learning how to run your dad's business and taking part in that, or whether it's going to be a heavy equipment operator or being an engineer graduating from college, you're going to UNA. You got to complete that. You got to. You start something, you follow it through. Definitely. You know, you guys have never seen me give up on something. Okay? And there's been days I just wanted, I get home, and Miss Carrie says, it's getting about time. You got that look on your face. I get a good night's sleep, and I get a phone call from a parent that says, I need you to talk to little Johnny for me. His grades are suffering. I'm like, all right. Give me a phone number and I'll call. We've gone through that time and time with this program. We've taken kids that were doomed for failure, that never went on to college, but they went through our high school program. And I can show you a young man right now in central Tennessee that graduated three years ago. He is now the employer of 15 people and has 
eight septic tank pump trucks. Smells like money. Smells a lot yeah, like money. That's yes, a good sir. business to and, be in right there, boys. You know, but that's just one success story. You got another one, you're going to about to graduate. When you go to UNA, and you'll get to know him a lot better, he's got his own lawn care service. He had to make a decision about three weeks ago. Do I go fish the state's championship? Or do I make sure that all my guys working for me, we get these businesses taken care of so I can fish another day. He called me up and said, Cap, I can't be there. My partner's gonna have to fish by himself. You got a problem with that? I said, what are you doing? He goes, I gotta get my business going. I got these contracts are coming due and we're starting up in the spring. It's just hitting at a bad time. I said, you know something? Don't you worry about this tournament because you just made a man's call not to go fish a tournament, but to make sure you're putting food on the table. You're going to get to fish with him a lot. Hopefully you beat him. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know if Carson's that good yet. Oh, I bet he is. I don't know. I've I, I, I seen, seen that young man holding about twenty nine fifty worth of smallmouth and five fish the other day. That ain't nothing, dude. Mm. <laughs> 32.75, I'm calling. But Carson, <laughs> Harrison, any closing words? This has been the Foul Life Podcast. Tennessee Bassmaster. Tennessee Bass Nation. Bass Nation. Bass, yep, and, and it's the Bassmaster High School Series. What's a guy got to do to get one of those hats? One of these hats? I like that hat. You'll have one. Can I have that one? You can have this one. I'll, sign, I'll, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool hat. Harrison, we'll Tennessee Bassmasters. You're in this. I'm you in feel it. good about it. You're confident. Great. I mean, nothing I'm can take you away from this. If I said, hey, I need you to come help me host the foul life this duck season, you're like, no, I'm fishing. Probably not going to go. Really? No, probably not. Hmm. Carson? Maybe a few weekends, but. <laughs> we need to get some of those West Tennessee kids. They'll, they'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> you ready for this lifestyle? I am. You're fired up. I am. Yes, sir. Congratulations on the scholarship. Thank you. I'm Grades excited Grades are going to be it. there, right? Yes, sir. Your mom and dad are proud of you. They are. I'm a little jealous of your hair and yours. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't like that hat, though. We're going to have a talk about that hat when we get we'll off the podcast. Sure, yeah. Right? Barrett? I can't see that. It's a drink. Uh-oh. Hat. Look at his shirt. No, it's, it's not. A sick hat. Hey, we can't say that on this. Uh, beep that out, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Jake, thank you very much. Congratulations hey, on a great thank career. You. Thank you very much, for real, wholeheartedly, you know. for what you do for these kids. It's awesome. Well, you know, we need to get you out to a tournament one of these days. I know. I just want to do that little swoop spin. You know, like that. Right, side <laughs> swoop. You, you, I don't think these guys told you. You guys are going to start calling it that, aren't you? You know, they, they've been keeping it. They've been holding out on you. Wednesdays, you need to come go fishing with me because I'm an actual guide for smallmouth and I'd love to. I'd love we to. need to go fishing. I'd love to. I'm so. in. I'm in. I'll teach you how to side swoop. It's yeah, I think we call that a perfect. roll cast, <laughs> yeah. isn't it, guys? It's called a roll <laughs> cast. Roll. A side swoop must be roll cast. That was in the 70s. Now that we're in the 2000s, it's, different. it's a side swoop. Think about how cool uh, that sounds. I want you to make a shirt. You can I, master that, Hobbs. Get Jason to do it. <laughs> yeah. Barrett, thank you. Yeah. Nashville Palace scoreboard. We're coming at you live again. Music Valley, Nashville, Tennessee. Music City, USA. This place is awesome. This backdrop is awesome. Um, thank you for real. This is awesome. Yeah. Chad, we're always happy to have you in Nashville and at the Palace. And, and I really appreciate 
you taking the time to spend it with these guys and Captain Jake and educate people in the outdoors of what's going on with Tennessee Bass Nation and the importance of having a tight line when you're fishing. Ripping lips. Ripping the fish lips. The tonight, did these kids catch them? Uh, Harrison, we're 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 going to eat crappie tonight out of Oat Hickory, and we're eating uh, redfish out of the Gulf of Mexico. Are you joining us? I got uh, that's up to the better half over there. You know, <laughs> the, the funny part about this is, I've yet to do rosters to get home tonight because I know somebody wants to know what his boat number Cocktail is. Cocktail sauce <laughs> or tartar sauce? Um, I probably won't wound my fish by that stuff. I, I like the call. Plane. I like it. Blackened or grilled? Depends depends on the fish. Walleye. Grilled. Oh, wow. Crappie. Fried. Fried. I heard a lady from Georgia call crappie last night, and I was like, I wouldn't eat that fish. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever heard it called that? Oh, many times. A lot of times. Yes, sir. Definitely. They call them specs in Florida. Harrison, last question for you tonight. If you had your choice at this point in your career, would you drive these bass boats the way that they do in these big time elite tournaments? Because I don't know if I could handle that. And I love roller coasters. I, I don't even have an, uh, I'm not scared of heights. I don't think anymore. Um, but these, these are going fast. Do you enjoy this part of it? Because that wigs me out a little bit to see that, that part of this sport. Are you over? It's not really a fascination, but was there ever a fear of that? And by this time in your career, are you over it? Because I know that you're not going that fast right now. But do you think you will get that acceleration at some point in your career? We'll hit it one day, but, I mean, I've never drove going that fast. But riding in it is fun. You've ridden that fast? Not 80, but. Is that how fast they're going, Captain? Are yeah. we supposed to say that? That's really yeah. fast. Yeah. Is there not well, a speed now, limit on a lake? During a high school tournament, the speed limit is supposed to be 65. 65 by yeah. a parent driving. However, you know, I'm not out there with a radar gun, and I'm not going to get out there with a radar <laughs> gun. Because that means I'd have to put the badge and gun back on, and that ain't going to happen. But, yeah, there there is bass boats out here. I have rode in one at 105 mile an hour. A bass boat? Oh, my. Not doing it. Yeah. Not okay. today. I thought 80 was that. It only lasted about long enough for me to reach over and back this thing down. Um, But, yeah, they go that fast. All right, we're out of here, Captain. Thank you you for your service in the military. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for Tennessee Bassmaster. Congratulations, Carson. Thank you. Mr. Barrett, thank you for the hospitality. Harrison, you the man. Hobbs Outdoors, check him out on YouTube. He's got it going on. Hobbs Outdoor, H-O-B-B-S. This is Chad Belling with another episode of the Foul Eye Podcast coming at you from the Nashville Palace Music Valley, USA. Check out these words from our sponsors. Thank you all so much for listening. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by The Provider. The Provider's mission is to help everyone enjoy a well-seasoned meal no matter where they are or what they're cooking. They currently offer 12 unique dry rubs, an incredible wing sauce, and a number one selling cookbook, all designed to elevate the flavor of any dish. Their rubs come in airtight containers that keep them fresh and flavorful for a long time. And unlike other rubs that can be overpowering or too salty, The Provider's rubs strike the perfect balance of flavors. The cookbook, co-written by 
hunting enthusiast Chad Belding and Chad Mendez is a work of art with incredible photos by Tom Rasheen and stories of people hunting and providing. It's so beautiful you'll want to sit down and appreciate every single page. It's packed with recipes and designed specifically for wild game and domestic meats, making it the perfect addition to any cook's arsenal. Head over to theproviderlife.com. With new additions every week, the website is a treasure trove of free cooking tutorials, provider tips, and unique recipes that will help you take your culinary skills to the next level. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started in the kitchen, the provider has something for everyone. This episode of the Fowl Life podcast is brought to you by the famous Nashville Palace, the iconic music venue, restaurant, and bar right in the heart of Music Valley, Nashville. For over 40 years, the Nashville Palace has been a must-visit destination for anyone looking for an authentic Nashville experience. It has hosted some of the biggest names in country music history, from Johnny Cash to Dolly Parton to George Jones, and continues to be a hub for local music and national artists to showcase their talents. But the famous Nashville Palace isn't just a music venue. It's a full-service restaurant and bar that offers mouth-watering selection of Southern cuisine. From classic comfort food like fried chicken and mashed potatoes to more adventurous side dishes like fried alligator. And you can wash it all down with one of their signature cocktails like the Boot Scootin' Lemonade or the Palace Punch. If you're planning a trip to Nashville or just looking for a fun night out, head over to the famous NashvillePalace.com to check out their upcoming events and make a reservation.